Good morning, Chapel family. And good morning to all of our guests today. My name is Dave Gustafson, and I have the really great honor of serving as senior pastor in this church. Really glad that you're here. Really glad that I'm here. It's just good to be together today. So as I've looked around this world recently, I keep noticing things that have risen, right? I mean, gas prices have <laughs> risen, right? I expect someone to say, they have risen indeed, you know? <laughs> Interest rates have risen. Home prices have risen. Um, I was in ShopRite last week. Goodness gracious. Six bucks for a box of cereal. Are you kidding me? Prices of everything has risen. Sadly, crime rates have risen. Anxiety, depression, road rage, all those things are on the rise. And so we don't put our heads in the sand today. We don't deny the reality of any of those, those painful things. Um, those, are, those are hard things. But today we come to proclaim a truth that is actually more important and more enduring and more powerful than any of those other things. In fact, it's a truth that when you believe it, it actually changes the way that you respond to any of those other things. We are gathered here today because Christ is risen. And when you believe that, when that becomes personal, you open yourself up to a power that really changes everything. So I've entitled today's message, Back to Life, because 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus, who lived in the Middle East, was sentenced to death by the Roman government. He was executed on a cross on a Friday. Two days later, he walked out of his tomb alive. And so we believe in the historical truthfulness of that event. Jesus came back to life. But there's more, actually, another meaning to that title, because as I've thought about where we are in history, I believe that we are at a point right now, like spring of 2022, when a lot of people are realizing, hey, you know, it's time to get back to life. Because we, we've just lived through something so strange that we're going to tell our kids and grandkids about decades from now. This pandemic has caused us to put so many normal things in life on hold, right? Uh, and life just hasn't been the way it usually is. And thank God, it seems like it's just about over. Amen? Amen? And I know there's still some variants out there. I know some people are still being cautious, and we completely respect that. But it just seems to me that it's just about time to get back to life. And so here's the question that I have for you. It's kind of a challenge for you on Easter. As you leave this pandemic behind and as you get back to life, here's the question. Is the life that you're getting back to the life you actually want to have? Are you the person that you really want to be? It's an incredibly personal question for me because this last October I was diagnosed with cancer. Many of you know that. And it just wasn't news that I was expecting at this point in my life. So thank God my prognosis is pretty good, but I'll never look at my life the same way again. I mean, I've realized that life is so precious and it's so fragile. And so that question that, that I asked you a, a moment ago, uh, I, I've been asking myself that as I get, get back to life. You know, after the diagnosis, I spent a few months doing doctor's appointments and, and I spent a few months doing, doing blood tests and, 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 you know, undergoing scans and wearing gowns that open in the back. <laughs> I, you know, I want to have a word with the guy who invented those things, by the way. <laughs> the sick man. 
And as I've spent time getting second opinions and doing research, finally, as I get back to life, I'm asking myself that question. Is this the life that I want to have? Um, life is a little more valuable to me. And so I'm saying, whatever time I have left, is this the life that I want to have? It's such an important question to ask. And I believe there's no better time to ask it than on Easter Sunday. So that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes today. I'm going to be basing my thoughts today on one of the most famous accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, last chapter of Matthew's gospel. So Matthew chapter 28. I invite you now to hear the word of God. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now go down to verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. I have come to realize that when you believe this, that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive, you become empowered to build a certain kind of life. And I would describe that life in three ways. First, believing in the resurrection enables you to build a life of hope. Of hope. What is hope? Well, it's not what many of us, the way that many of us use that word. Many times when we say the word hope, we mean wishful thinking, right? I hope the Yankees make the playoffs this year. I, I, I hope I get into my number one college. I hope the line at Costco is not that long this afternoon, right? So many times we just mean, man, I wish, I hope that happens. That would be nice. Biblical hope takes that a step further. It's not just something you wish will happen. It's something you believe will happen. There's a certainty, there's a confidence in biblical hope. And so leading up to this moment, there was a growing group of people who had really put their deepest hope in Jesus. The more time they spent with him, the more they concluded, he's the, he's the one. This is the Messiah of Israel. This is, this is the Son of God in human flesh. This is the missing piece in my life. They put their hope on him. In a world where it was so hard to find something to hope in, it seems like they had found that hope in Christ. But then Friday happened, and Jesus was dead. 
And I imagine that as their hope disappeared, that Saturday was a really long, really sad Saturday. But then Sunday morning came, and the crazy, shocking news of that morning was that Jesus was alive. Could it be? When the women came to the tomb and found it empty, it was so disoriented, disorienting, it says they ran from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Isn't that a great combination? Like, I'm terrified and really happy at the same time. <laughs> Because they had no category for this. Everything they'd ever experienced in life told them dead things stay dead. But in the growing light of that morning, they were beginning to realize maybe death doesn't have the final word. Maybe life actually wins. And that realization was like an electric jolt that brought hope into their souls. If you have experienced a little bit of what they experienced on Friday, the pain of losing hope, if you've lost someone you've loved, if you've stood in a cemetery and buried your spouse or your child, I know is true of some of you, if you've experienced the ending of a marriage or the breakup of a relationship, if you, some of you are estranged from one of your, your children, you know what death feels like. It can just suck the hope right out of you. Sooner or later, in one way or another, all of us will experience that. That's why Easter is so precious, because it tells us that death you're experiencing doesn't have to have the final word. And when you believe that, you begin to build a life of hope. And this is what I mean. The resurrection of Christ, the conquering of death, becomes the lens through which you look at everything in life. So you start to walk through the hardest things in life, and of course, you you mourn your losses, you grieve the painful things in life, but deep down, you don't lose hope. Because Easter gives us resilience and optimism. We don't give up on people so easily. We don't give up on ourselves. We don't give up on, on the dreams that God has given us. Because if God raised Jesus from the dead, there's absolutely nothing he cannot do. And you start to look at life like that. So in a world that is so cynical, right, more than ever, it's so jaded, let the power of the resurrection make you a person of hope. Man, that's the kind of life I want to build. Secondly, believing in the resurrection of Christ enables us to build a life of forgiveness. Of forgiveness. For this point, I'm going to reach into the gospel of Mark because he includes one little detail that that Matthew doesn't mention in his account. Mark 16, verse 7. This is the angel at the empty tomb speaking to the women. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you see the extra little detail that Mark throws in? And Peter. Why would he, of all the disciples, why, why, why wouldn't he just say the disciples? Why mention him by name? Well, do you remember what Peter did when Jesus had been arrested and placed under trial? He failed miserably. Three different times, Peter was given the opportunity to associate himself with Jesus, right? Hey, aren't you one of his followers? And every time, Peter swore up and, ta- up and down, he didn't even know him. And so, more than any of the other disciples, Peter had failed miserably. It says, after the third time that Peter had denied Jesus, he was so struck by his own failure, he broke down and he wept bitterly. Man, failure is a bad feeling. You ever had that feeling of failure? Maybe you failed at marriage. 
Maybe you feel like I failed as a parent. Maybe you failed in school and you've really disappointed your parents. Maybe there's some hidden thing in your life that, that maybe nobody knows about, some hidden addiction to, to alcohol or to, to pills or to pornography or to food or gambling or something else. And, and you, on the surface, you carry yourself pretty well, but, but very close, underneath the surface, you feel like a failure. And you're pretty sure God feels the same way about you as well. And that's very much how Peter was feeling. So isn't it awesome that the angel says, hey, tell the disciples and make sure Peter gets the message. Jesus really wants to see them. How do you think Peter felt when he heard those words conveyed to him? And somebody says, well, isn't isn't it so nice that Jesus was willing to overlook Peter's sin? No, Jesus didn't overlook anything. He paid for that sin. On the cross with his own blood, Jesus paid the price that was due for that sin. And so Easter is God's ultimate statement that even our Peter-like actions, even the things that we're ashamed of, even the things that have hurt other people more than anything else, even the things that we wish we could take back, that we play over in our minds, those can be forgiven and washed clean simply by believing. Man, that is good news. And it's better than that, though, because when we are forgiven people, we become empowered to be forgiving people. The two always go together. Have you been wrongly treated by anybody? Have you heard someone, maybe at school, who you thought was your friend, just turn their back on you? You ever had someone, maybe an ex-spouse, try to ruin you financially? You ever have someone insult you on social media, insult your child. You know, you know what experts have found? That when you are emotionally hurt, it lights up the same exact sp- spots in your brain as when you get physically injured. I mean, it is pain just as much as any pain in the world. But here's the thing. When you realize the depth of your own sin and how much God has forgiven you, it begins to change the way you look at those other people who have hurt you. This is a powerful thing. You start to treat other people the way that God has treated you. And so you're quick to forgive. You find yourself forgiving much quicker. You don't carry grudges around. You don't keep this list, this Excel spreadsheet in your brain of all the things people have done wrong to you. You don't lie in bed thinking of sweet revenge that you're going to get on those people that have hurt you because you release them from those offenses. In other words, you don't allow your soul to be, pis- uh, to be poisoned by bitterness. Some of you remember this. Uh, just a couple of years ago, there was an off-duty police officer in Dallas named Amber Geiger. And one night, she actually walked into the apartment of a man named Botham Jean and fatally shot him. She claimed she thought it was her apartment, and so when she saw him, she she assumed it was a burglar. It went to trial. Amber Geiger was found guilty of murder. But what really riveted the public's attention was what happened at the sentencing, because the brother of the deceased man was a guy named Brant Jean, and when he had the opportunity to speak, he told Amber Geiger that he forgave her. He encouraged her to give her life to Jesus Christ. And then he asked the judge if he could go and give her a hug, which the judge amazingly approved. And so right there in that courtroom, she she walked down and she embraced this man. It was a breathtaking scene. And so she's in prison now. She's serving out her sentence. But her life is forever marked by this extraordinary act of love 
and forgiveness. And not only her, but the millions of people who saw it on television. Look, I know that right now, some of you feel the pain of being unfairly treated. It's real pain. But instead of feeling sorry for yourself, instead of dreaming about revenge, would you allow the truth of Easter to make you a person of forgiveness? It is, it is so powerful. If you will accept it, the message of Easter can make you a forgiven person and a beautifully forgiving person. There, there's just no better way to live. And then one more thing. <clears throat> when we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, it enables us to build a life of purpose. Of purpose. I don't think there's ever been a more important time to talk about purpose. Just about a year ago, there was an article written in the New York Times by a guy named Adam Grant. He's an organizational psychologist at the Wharton School. And the article starts out like this. He said, at first, I didn't recognize the symptoms that we all had in common. Friends mentioned that they were having trouble concentrating. A family member <clears throat> was staying up late to watch National Treasure again, even though she knows the movie by heart. And instead of bouncing out of bed at 6 a.m., I was lying there until 7, playing words with friends. It wasn't burnout. We still had energy. It wasn't depression. We didn't feel hopeless. We just felt somewhat joyless and aimless. It turns out there's a name for that, languishing. Languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield, and it might be the dominant emotion of 2021. He goes on to talk about how this languishing has been caused by this prolonged pandemic and everything that's gone along with it. That article struck a nerve with so many people, it became the most read article in the New York Times in all of 2021. Can, can you relate to that at all? Have you felt any, any kind of languishing in your life? Just sort of a, ah, whatever, meh, kind of mindset? I mean, nobody wants to be that way, but when it comes upon you, it can be hard to fight it off. This is why we need the message of Easter. Look with me again at the last three verses of our passage in Matthew. Then Jesus came to them and said, <clears throat> All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is really answering the, the so what of Easter, right? Like, if this is true, if this is reality, so what? How, how does it change the way we walk out and live on Monday? And the answer is, go. You, you can't stay where you are. If you, if you embrace this, you can't be the same old person you used, you used to be. You, you have to go. He says, go and make disciples. A disciple is someone who trusts and follows Jesus Christ. So he says to his followers, I want you to go out and invite other people to join you in following me. And so I want to just do that this morning. I want to invite you to join us or join another good church. We're not the only game in town. Join us in following Jesus Christ. Jo become part of this great family that God is building here at the chapel. We'd love to have you. Come be a disciple of Christ with us. He says, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So next week, we're going to do that. We're going to be baptizing people right here. It's an amazing celebration. We're going to do it the next month, too, because God keeps on drawing people to himself. So if you're ready for that step, 
Come and be baptized. And then he says, teach people all that I've commanded you. Teach them to obey it. When I read the Gospels, I hear Jesus commanding us to feed the hungry, to care for the sick, to to pay special attention to vulnerable people like refugees and orphans and widows. And I have to tell you, I look around this church and I see ways that this church family is taking this to heart, and it is awesome. So I'd love to tell you just quickly about a couple of those ways I see people living this out. As I tell you about it, I'm going to invite our worship team to come on back up onto the platform for our final song. So you guys can come on up. Here's just a few ways that the people of this church family are living out the teachings of Jesus. We are partnering with a church in Romania right now, right on the border of Ukraine, to provide shelter and care to thousands of refugees from Ukraine that have fled across the border. It is amazing to be a part, a hands-on part of that ministry. For months, you might not know, we have been hosting a refugee family from Afghanistan, Remember, it's kind of fallen out of the news, but Afghanistan is a mess since the Taliban took control. So there's a family living in one of our church-owned houses. We're helping them to get into schools and to rebuild a life here in the U.S. What a privilege to work with them. We are breaking out of our suburban bubble and taking teams to serve on the streets of Patterson with the homeless every month. We're partnering with seven different organizations in the city of Patterson to to be boots on the ground and to bring hope and healing to people in Patterson. Just yesterday, we gave out hundreds of Easter baskets and other gifts to kids on the streets of Patterson as we help them to celebrate Easter. In a few weeks, spring planting will begin in our special needs community garden that we started last year. Amazing way to include people with special needs in the life of the chapel, which we try to do in everything that we do as a church. I was you know, picking and choosing what things to share with you. There's so many more things I could say. Those are just a few examples. But the point is, when you believe in the resurrection of Christ, when you take his teachings to heart, you cannot languish. Thou shalt not languish anymore in your life, because your life gets infused with this purpose that's bigger than you. It's, it's more than your life, and it's worthy of your sacrifice. It's worthy of some risk, and it's hard, and it's challenging, and it's beautiful, and Jesus says, go and live that way, and I'm going to be with you to the very end. So let me circle back to the question that I asked at the very beginning of the service. As we leave the pandemic behind, And as we get back to life, is the life you're getting back to the life you really want to have? Why not let the message and the truth of Easter shape the person that you're becoming? Let Jesus make you a person of hope. Everything in life you look at through that lens, it's not over. God raises the dead. Let him make you a person of forgiveness, humbly receiving God's forgiveness and asking confession all the time but also giving out forgiveness to the people in your life. What a difference that would make. And let him make you a person of purpose, engaged in things that really matter. This life is precious. None of us knows how many days we have to live. And let's have the wisdom to live it wisely. Amen? Amen. Would you rise to your feet for a closing prayer? You know, this whole weekend we have been proclaiming what Jesus has done for us. On Good Friday, he went to the cross and he absorbed in himself 
the justice, the judgment that we deserve for our sin. And then on Easter Sunday, he rose from the grave, conquered death. And all of that, all that he's done is like a gift that God extends to us. But we know this about gifts. When someone extends you a gift, you have a choice. You can say, nope, I'm good. No, thank you. Or you can receive it. In the first chapter of John's gospel, it says, but to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believed in his name. And I just get the sense that this is the day for some of you that God has orchestrated for you to receive Christ. He's, it's been a crazy pandemic. He's maybe done crazy things in your personal life, and he's brought you to this moment to make a, a decision. Wouldn't it be amazing if you look back on Easter of 2022 and you told people in your future, you know, that Easter was at the end of this ridiculous pandemic. We're going to be talking about it for, for decades and decades. And on that Easter Sunday, it was kind of cold and it was kind of sunny. And I understood the gospel and I received Christ. And my life after that point was different than it had been before. If God has brought you to this moment, I just don't want you to pass up the opportunity. So I'm going to pray for us. I'll pray out loud, but I'm going to pause after each phrase. And if you need to express this to God, I, I want to invite you to do that either quietly in your own heart, God hears you, or even just whisper it softly. For some of you, you need to take advantage of this moment. So let's pray together. Let's close our eyes together as a congregation. And if you need to receive Christ today, just express something like this. God, thank you for bringing me here today. Just express those thoughts to God. God, I want the life that you have for me. I confess that I'm a sinner. But I believe Jesus paid for my sins. And I believe he conquered death. So I receive you today. Make me the person you want me to be. Bless the people around me through my life. I receive you today. And Father, on behalf of all of us, I pray that you would fill our hearts with the risen Christ. And I pray, Father, that when we leave here after we worship today, that we would walk out into this world and spread blessing to those around us. We pray in the name of the risen Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.